Well, hey, FCA, uh, you've probably heard the phrase many times. Uh, things are hard, things are difficult, things are unknown. Um, but I want to encourage you as we start tonight, start this year with FCA, I want to start by just saying uh, Jesus Christ, like he does hard. And, and, and followers of Jesus for many centuries have faced the unknown, have faced difficult circumstances, and they've not just survived, they've thrived. And so we can make a choice tonight. We can say, you know, it's not like it used to be, or uh, I don't like looking at a TV screen, or, or we can look at it like this. The Holy Spirit unites everybody, everybody in Christ through the gospel. The Holy Spirit unites us. And though you may not see your neighbor uh, a few feet away from you, you may not be encountering God with a group of people. And that's a beautiful thing, a blessing to get to do when we can. But the reality is that same Holy Spirit, although you don't see the different spaces, Jesus does. And so we can press into that tonight, press into the Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, let's read some scripture, shall we? Uh, we're going to look at John 15 tonight. I'm actually going to rearrange it a little bit. We're going to skip around and, and just pair some verses a little differently. Uh, John 15 is chocked full with amazing truths about the kingdom of God, but I've only got so much time. I'm going to pull a few out, and we're going to party with those verses. So I'm going to read these passages, and I want you to consider as you either read along or you hear them read over you, I want you to consider what if God's word is actually the more important thing when you listen to a sermon than what the guy or girl says afterwards? What if these next few seconds, these these words written by God, penned for us to be able to find life within, what if these are the words that really matter? And what if you were one of the disciples years ago hearing these words and there wasn't going to be a preacher person afterwards explaining them? You were just tasked with listening to the Messiah. How would you listen to these words I'm about to read? And, and what if you were a disciple around college age, high school age is what they would have been, and you've been with Jesus for a while, but he's just informed you that he's going to be leaving the earth. He's not going to be with you in that same physical way anymore. And suddenly things are becoming uncertain. They're becoming unknown. There's lots of political tension, lots of racism, lots of cultural things that are just pressing on your back. And what if the Messiah started to speak and said these words? Let's read these together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, and you are the branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Abide in me as I also abide in you. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. These are precious words spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. My goal is not to speak over him or for him, but to unpack some of these words in a way that might can launch us as FCA into some sweet intimacy with the living God over this next semester. There's a lot of pressure if you're in college, right? You've got to make a lot of decisions in a short amount of time. You're trying to figure out things uh, like your major, your career, maybe who you're going to marry, you know, and, and that's, that's a real thing. That's, that's where I met my bride uh, in a chemistry review session right outside of 
Hunter uh, Hall, the, the chemistry area. And um, man, you know, I met her, opened the door for her. And now we got, we got three kids and a puppy, you know, and like things just progress. And so it really works. You can really make some decisions in your time in college, in your time in this stage of life that really do echo for quite a bit of time. They're really spiritual, physical, emotional decisions that really do set some courses. And so my question is, of all of the decisions that you have to make, of all of the things you're wrestling through, what's the thing you want to be really sure you get right? Like, what's the thing you want to be really good at, great at? What's the thing you want to master in these next few years at college? What, what is that thing that you want to really be good at? I don't know if you've ever been um, around somebody who's truly a master. Or, um, I have. I, um, uh, so story time, get ready for it. Uh, when I was uh, 15 years old, I had been taking, you know, karate, martial arts for about, you know, five years. And this was the kind of karate you show up at and, um, you know, they give you nice cool belts in case you don't have some at home, different colors. And, and they teach you all these like really effective karate moves like, hiya, you know, and so the goal is, I guess, to just, someone's going to rob you. You just, I don't know, just do a little dance in front of them. They get bored and they don't attack you. And so I did about five years of that kind of training, super high kicks, super low splits, all kinds of stuff that had very little relevance in an actual fight. And then I came across a situation where we were in uh, a situation where my mom was was having to battle with some abuse in the home. And this was a, a tough situation. This was a rather large guy, a lot of uh, ammunition. <laughs> and, and, uh, he, was, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't a guy to be trifled with. And so I had to learn how to fight. I, I heard about a guy and, uh, named Dermon Hodge. I heard rumors about the kind of people he trained and what he did to these people. And I thought they were myths. I thought they were legends. But I asked a few friends, asked around. This was in Florence, South Carolina. And the story I'm about to tell you is super legit. You can, you can, you can find this guy. If you want to be bored with me and, and find somebody who has Facebook, go to retirement home and find somebody who has Facebook, look up Dermon Hodge and you're going to see, I'm, I'm, I go look in his bio, legit storm about to tell you. I met this guy. I had no idea what I know now about the number of black belts this guy had, but he was a master. I didn't know that at the time, and I just thought, you know, he just looks like a very average guy, big old thick mustache. And I show up and I say, um, hey man, uh, I want to learn how to fight. And he said, uh, do you want me to teach you? And I said, well, I mean, <laughs> that's why I'm here. And he said, uh, then hit me. And I said, uh, how, about, how about no? You know, I don't, don't want to, you know, no. Uh, and so he goes, hit me. And I was like, no, I'm not, we're not doing that. And he pushed me and he said, hit me. And the third time I was like, all right, I've seen a lot of these old fashioned like kickboxer movies where the noob hits the, the, the older guy and he gets whomped. But I just thought I'd throw like a really quick jab right at the good old mustache, just a quick you know, just, just brush that mustache real quick and show him what's up. And so I was going to just whoop up. And I did, I, I didn't do like that, but I punched really fast right at his mustache. And honestly, the next thing I knew I was, I was lying on the ground. Um, I didn't feel like I had uh, control of my bodily functions. I didn't know if I was in number one or number two territory or all the numbers at once, but I didn't feel very comfortable in the whole middle region. I felt like I had been hit here and hit here and there was some paralyzation happening. I feel like I was having trouble breathing. And this was the beginning of years of training with a true master that knew how to fight. So when you think about Jesus, you're wondering, how does this karate story get back to the Bible? Uh, here it goes. When you think about Jesus, uh, Jesus is a master. That's what he's called. 
When you hear the name rabbi, when you hear the name teacher, cumulatively spoken somewhere around 60 times, he's called master, teacher, rabbi. When he's called Lord, Lord is mentioned 150 times in the gospel accounts as who Jesus is. That's all these bright lights going. This is a master. He's a 10th degree black belt. He's good at something. But what would you say Jesus is good at? And what do you want to be a master of? And have you paired with the right master to learn the thing that you want to be a master in? There's a lot of ways to say this, but I think if we ask Jesus one scenario that he might say to us is, hey, I am the master of life. I am the master of living. And he says that in the book of John, I have come so that you may have life and life abundantly, life to the fullest. Jesus is the master of living. And if your goal in this season of life or all seasons of life is to become a triple 10th degree black belt in life, then Jesus offers the training. He says, come follow me. I will teach you how my kingdom operates. It's a kingdom of life. It's a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom he invites us into. This idea, we have to grab hold of it. We have to grab hold of who Jesus is and what he offers us. We have to see him as he is, and we have to decide that we want what he offers. Because if we don't, if we kind of just like say, well, I, you know, I go to church, I do these kind of things, it, that's not what he promises will work in our lives. Matter of fact, the scriptures teach the opposite. In, in Ephesians 5, 16, it says we need to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If we just wait for life to come to us, Ephesians says, what you'll do is you'll pass time. And as you pass time, you'll find yourself graduating college. You'll find yourself getting a job. You'll find yourself maybe with a family, maybe single. And time will pass because the days are evil. But you have to redeem the time. How do you redeem the time? You have to learn to follow the master of life who redeems all things, who leads us in all things. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener, and you are the branches. This is what he tells the disciples in a moment where they need to know more than ever, how do we live this life? We have opposition coming for us. It's not easy anymore. How do we do this thing? You're not going to be physically here for us anymore, Jesus. How are we going to do this? And Jesus says, I'm the vine. He says, I'm the vine. He says, you know, this is, this is me. I want you to understand that I am this vine. And, and my father is the gardener. And his job is to walk around and, and do the pruning and do the fertilizing, do, do the watering, make sure things are happening. But Jesus says, I'm the vine. And so that leaves us as the disciples of Jesus. Where are we in this picture? He says, you are the branches. This is who you are. In this word picture becomes central to how the early followers of Christ learn to embody the way of Christ, not as theory, but as reality. And that's my goal tonight. We're going to take, talk really practical about that. My goal is not to say like, abide, peace. My goal is to go like, yeah, we hear that a lot, but I want to get as practical as we can in a very short amount of time. So here we go. First, a disclaimer. What I'm not going to talk about tonight is people who don't understand the gospel or place faith in the gospel yet. If that's you, my intention is not to leave you out. 
My intention is to encourage you to find people. If you can't find anybody, find me. We have free courses we can put you through, and we have people that will love to meet with you. And FCA has tons of people who would love to process with you an understanding of the gospel and how to place faith in the gospel. And I'm not going to talk about tonight the, the, the verses that talk about branches get cut off and chopped off. We're not going to talk about that. It has a lot to do with Judaism at the moment. And frankly, even though it's a, it's a, it's a top-tier college conversation to sit around and wonder, like, what if I don't make the cut at the end? My advice for you is if you're hungry for God and you want God and you're pursuing God, you don't need to fret about the end. My advice to you is don't waste a lot of your college career wondering if, if, if Jesus is going to send you to hell or not. If you are truly desiring Jesus in, in, in all that he offers himself to be and you know him, don't, don't just look at the New Testament. There aren't people who want Jesus that Jesus goes thanks but no thanks. But we're not going to talk about all that tonight. We're going we're to talk about the verses that deal with really two types of branches and especially one. And the type of branch I want to start with is the type of branch that doesn't produce fruit. And I want to talk about what happens with that. Because if you're in college, probably a lot of what you're thinking about is, how do I live effectively? How do I produce fruit? I want to give it my all. I want to fully be there. But let me ask you a question. I want you to go back to the moment that you first met Jesus. Go back to the thickness of that moment, the reality of that moment, the the, the sincerity, the purity of that moment. And if you look back and you can't grab hold of that moment, then maybe this is kind of an off-ramp in the conversation to say, maybe I need to go back and understand the gospel and have faith in the gospel. Because people who have faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they meet the living God. That's just the truth of it. That's the experience of the New Testament believers. They, they know God, John 17, 3, this is eternal life. But for those of us who are maybe in this process of saying like, well, okay, I do remember having this greeting with Jesus back in this moment. For me, it was age 19 here at Clemson is when I met Jesus for the first time. But what I want to ask is this, over time, has there been weight put on this branch? If you're this branch and you're looking back and you're going like, man, what's my life been like with Jesus? Has, Has there been weight put on this branch where there's some disappointment, some frustration, some pressure? some things that you thought would go a different way in these last few years. Maybe you didn't think things with your parents would end up like that. And some weight has been put on. And maybe time has passed and nobody's super excited about baptizing you or things like that. Nobody's really making a big deal about you and Jesus. And maybe more weight gets put on and more weight gets put on over time. And you're trying to produce fruit. You really are. You're trying to say, and maybe that's the problem. You've looked so hard at this branch at the end of it. Your whole posture has been like, but I want to love my neighbor well. But I'm tired of of, of injustice socially around our country. I want to be involved in the issues of racism and poverty. I, I want this fruit. But you stare at this fruit again and again and again. It just doesn't come out. And maybe over time you've become numb, disappointed in a sense with God. And maybe you're wondering if he's disappointed with you. And maybe COVID has revealed a lot of things. When all the structures that hold this up, youth groups and churches and gatherings and all these things that the American church says, here, we'll fix your coffee for you. Here, we'll take care of your kids. When all these structures got pulled away, do you find yourself right now with something happening with you and Jesus that feels like you're barely connected anymore? That feels like you aren't dead But you and I both know this branch isn't going to produce fruit. It can't. 
And this is what Jesus is trying to teach these disciples. Apart from me, if this thing severs, you can produce nothing. And if you're like, no, 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 I can still do things. I got a C plus in that class. I did that and I'm in sin or I'm distant from God or I'm not paying attention to God. I think the connotation here is you can only do what you can do. You'll never do Christ-sized things when you cut yourself from the vine. That's the branch I don't want to focus on too much tonight, honestly, because I want to get to the fun stuff. The idea of living a life as a branch in community with other branches that learn the art of the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of God. You see, in the kingdom of God, if you want things like fruit, you don't get them by aiming at fruit. It's counterintuitive. In the kingdom of God, if you, you want to be a leader, what do you become? A servant. Counterintuitive. Doesn't fit in logic class, right? It fits in kingdom, but not kingdom of the world. You want to be, you know, good at leading? You learn how to serve. You want to be first? You got to learn how to be last. You want to be good at producing fruit? You focus your attention on the one through whom the power comes to produce that fruit. You can stare all day long. You can long all day long. You can read a thousand leadership books about Christian leaders. But if you center your attention on the what of fruit and you lose attention of the who of Jesus, it is Jesus's very words that tell us we will not see ourselves abiding in him. And what Jesus is trying to offer us, remember, keep sight of this, it is life and life to the fullest. When he says joy, he says, my joy may be in you. Your joy may complete, be complete. That's what he's saying. I want you to be joyful. What's joy? I, there's a lot of different definitions, but I would say it's, a, it's this soul-driven delight that comes from knowing you are capturing the beauty of any given moment. That's joy. You're living how you're meant to live. And Jesus says, if you want that kind of life, if you want me to be the master who trains you in joy and in life and in peace and in grace and in forgiveness and in power, you're going to have to learn the art of centering on this spot. This has got to be your life. This one connection right here, you can never move past it. You never get past that connectivity point between you and Jesus. That's what gets all of the attention all of the time. But again, this is pretty 10,000 foot view stuff here. Before we go into some basics, some concretes, some practicals, let me just say this one point. You're going to meet a lot of people and you may become, if you're like me at Clemson, you may become one of these people who lives a life with disconnectivity to God. God could have died in the last seven days and you wouldn't have known it because you're disconnected from him. But you will... If you're a part of Christian culture, if you're a part of this world, you will learn and you will find people who have learned to produce some kind of fake fruit, to produce something that passes for fruit from the naked eye, from a distance. I had my kids draw some fake fruit today. I don't know who's I'm going to pick. I have a few different ones. Hey, kids, if you're watching, this is not me picking the favorite, although y'all keep asking me who's my favorite. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not picking this one because this looks like a piece of chicken. So that's, that, all right, that's like a corn dog. It's not a piece of fruit. That's not going on there. I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, this was the, whoever did this. You're the winner. So the idea is we as humans 
in the world of projection of self can become excellent at duct taping some of this on there. And you can be at an SCA Bible study and be like, what's up? I don't cuss. And you just sort of tape this on there. And people go like, what? Uh, and you must be filled with the Spirit. But the idea is that when we, once you get to know people in community, you will learn whether or not the fruit that comes through them is fruit of the Spirit or fruit of their flesh. And you'll know that because people who live by the fruit of the flesh keep producing things that say I and me. People that live connected to the vine, it's all about the vine. So let's go deep into this. Let's unpack some things practical. Let's have some fun with this. This is all about abiding. And before we get into the, to this uh, specifics, I want to say one last thing. Abiding in this text is a reciprocal thing. So what I'm about to say, if you think I'm about to tell you, do some yoga poses and there you go, check it off the list. You've now abided in God. You've now had time with God. If it's not reciprocal, it's not what Jesus is teaching. And so when you interact with God, you're interacting with a living God, a living being who put his spirit in you. You should know when you've been abiding in Christ. If the only thing abiding does is eventually one day produce fruit, it's not the kind of abiding Jesus is talking about. He is talking about a kind of a value that happens just from this connection. So marvelous, so delightful that when fruit does get produced through you, you're like, well, will you look at that? I mean, you're almost surprised by it, right? Because your attention is on Jesus. So how can you live this way in the most practical way I can imagine? Let me give you four words, and we're going to go through them in some more detail. The word for, the word from, the word with, and the word by. You, you learn to live in a way where everything you do, you do it uh, for Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, first and foremost. Let's unpack this. Jesus is inviting us through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit to live in a way that everything we do can be either done in such a way where it brings glory to us as the branch or bring glory, brings glory to him as the vine. Everything is up for grabs in that conversation. From the smallest of decisions to the greatest of decisions, they all fall in to these ideas. Listen to these verses, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And listen, I hate, that, and as I'm saying this, somebody out there is probably going, well, man, I feel really convicted right now. Man, I'm really a failure. Thanks for the talk, Stu. Listen, I only want you to hear this this way. The infinite availability of heaven through the Holy Spirit is an invitation to life to the fullest, not a condemnation if you miss it. I don't want you to hear this like, well, now the bar has really been set, a new law. I want you to hear it like this. Jesus loves you so incredibly much. He's invited you to live a life far beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. That's all I'm saying. And that's what he's offering to his disciples. You can check the box at I went to church, or you can check the box at heaven is coming into me and through me. You can check the box of I survived, or you can check the box of I thrived. And that's, that's your choice. But you're the one who picked Jesus. And, and, and that's the weird thing, to pick Jesus and to go, eh, I'm picking Jesus, but I'm going to pick off of Jesus. That's, that's the weird thing. That's why so many Christians live in such a dysfunctional way. And so let's start with this idea of living from the why. Why do I do what I do? 
Why am I doing what I'm doing? Now, sermons sometimes can get weird because I can tell you like, here's what I did yesterday and here's what we ought to do tomorrow. But let me just, because I feel the Lord prompting me in this, I just want to take a second and just leave you for a minute. And I'm just going to just take a minute and show you an example between me and the Father of how to live a life in this millisecond here of abiding in him and doing this moment for the glory of God. Listen, this is not that spectacular, but just, just voyeur in. Jesus, I'm on stage right now. And if being on stage right now means that I look like a fool because I say something wrong, I do something wrong, I trip and fall over, but it brings you glory, the reason I am here, Jesus, is for you. I want you to get the glory, God. You are worthy of all glory. This is for you. It's all for you. Not me, you. Amen. How do you live a life where when you choose your career, when you choose your classes, when you choose your friends, when you choose to do that Bible study or to be a part of this church or to be involved in this mission, how do you live a life? Well, then, where as you're choosing it, what's at the frontal lobe is this. Lord, this is for your glory. I do a lot of things over the last 20-something years of being a follower of Jesus. Here's one of them. When people come up to me and go, good job, good job, nice fruit, man. What I try to say, because not, not just to be a semantics thing, but when people come up to me and go, Stuart, yeah, nice sermon. I, what I want to do is be like, not rude, but be like, bless God. Man, all glory be to Jesus. And you'll see that I say that a lot. Some people get annoyed by it. Like every time I try to tell you thanks, you go bless God. I'm like, yo, I'm not doing that to push you off. I'm doing that because I really want to abide in him. And if you telling me thanks for serving you has any chance of Velcroing to me, then that's 30 seconds that I'm not looking at him. You with me? And so I want to look at him and go like, it's for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Lord, how do we walk around in ways where we ask God, God, how do you want to be glorified right now? Lord, I just did this thing. Was that glorifying to you? And how do you listen, listen for him to go, thank you. Thank you for paying attention to me. Thank you for staying connected to the vine. Thank you for acknowledging that any fruit that comes through you is fruit that comes by the Holy Spirit from the vine with the Father, the gardener, tending the entire time. And that's, that's this. That's this idea of, of, of the idea of for. How do you live your life for the glory of God? Everything you do, acknowledge that it's either for your glory or for his glory and develop ways of thinking, of posturing yourself. Another thing that I do is I preach the gospel to myself in a very specific way. A lot of times when, I, when I'm walking up to something and I think like, this could go bad, this could make me look bad, this could be a bad situation, I'll say, but he's worthy. And I love preaching that to myself and just going, God, you are worthy. God, you are worthy. God, you are worthy. Walk around Clemson's campus when you're allowed to again and, and, and say, and just as you are walking, as the door gets slammed in your face, and you're like, man, I, wanna, I want my flesh just to, yeah. Just, man, God, you're worth it. You're worthy. I'm still going to praise you because I do what I do for the glory of God. And listen, you're going to miss it more than you get it. I miss it more than I get it. But the times where I can rightly acknowledge the glory of God in a situation are the most precious times of abiding in him. Next, what does it mean to live a life from God? 
John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. Here's what that means. When you became a believer, a follower of Jesus, God put in you a, a literal cell phone, you know, a connection point with God to the Holy Spirit through which we can ask him for any bit of wisdom according to James chapter one. And if we focus this way, not, oh my goodness, I have a decision. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I have the fruit of the spirit in this way. How am I gonna be kind tomorrow? How do I be patient? But if you be a counterintuitive king worshiper and you look this way and you say, Jesus, Jesus, what I'm about to do, I wanna do with your advice, your opinion, your lordship in my life. I know that you know the past. I know that you know the present. I know that you know the future. I wanna press into you, Jesus. What do you have for me? And you gotta listen. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And man, we're horrible at that, right? I mean, we, social media teaches us to just go drop your bomb and then leave. But like Jesus teaches us to ask and wait. And I've learned the art of waiting. Years ago, we, we had two children. We didn't know if God had us to have another one or not. And uh, every time we prayed, God delivered some unbelievable catastrophe on our family. So we'd be like, okay, I'm a little nervous about praying about a third child anymore. So we really just didn't pray for a few years. And then I got to a place where I was like, God, I just, I just feel like I, we need to know the answer. We need a yes or a no on this. And I'm not trying to be in your place, God, but I wanna abide in you. I don't wanna use just logic and what is the average you know, household child number per Christian capita. I wanna press in and go, what do you have for our family? So I went to the beach by myself for like two nights and walked up and down like some guy that was totally lost, you know, and just walked up and down and just prayed along the shore and just kept asking him and asking him and asking him, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? You know, the average human makes 35,000 decisions a day. And I wanna to learn to be better at submitting a lot more to him, especially one as big as bringing a human into the world. And so I was like walking back and forth. This took me three hours. And at the end of that night, I mean, I, it wasn't because I was tired. It wasn't because I was hungry. I, it's because the Lord just did a really special thing. It took patience, but he sort of tilted my head up at what had been a cloudy night before then, I felt like. And I looked up and I saw these stars in the sky. And I'm like, why am I looking at the, what does this have to do with my question, God? I've been asking this question for three hours. And I feel like the Lord just nudged me gently to say, you know, pay attention. I started thinking of the Genesis account of the stars in the sky, like your descendants. And then the same thing happened a few minutes later as I prayed. It's like my head kind of went down to the sand and God was like, are you getting it? Are you getting it? And these kinds of, kinds of things where we abide in him are the reason we have a precious five-year-old in our house right now. Humans didn't give me that. Community didn't tell me that. The Holy Spirit spoke because I was trying to learn to abide in him. You with me on this? And so this is the way we learn to live. We're up against some crazy things in our culture right now. If you're gonna try to fight this, this, this idea of racism and seek racial unity, look around you. There's a lot of people expending a lot of energy just to end up fighting hate with hate. And that's, that's not gonna work. That's not even good fruit at the end. That's not even, that's not even a good drawing of, of fake fruit. That's more, like the, that's more like the corn dog, you know, being taped on. That's not, even, that's not even good, right, to be prejudiced against those who are prejudiced. We gotta learn ways that only God would know, the King would know. And if we abide in Him, if we press into Him, if instead of arguing all the time, we sit with Him. And that's why I at my house can have a group of 20 people gathered of all colors and, and law enforcement officers, and we're all pressing in and abiding into Him. And we're finding the kingdom of God is coming into these conversations in beautiful, redemptive ways because we abide in Him. Third, this idea of, uh, of with. 
How do we do things with Jesus? Jesus said, you know, I'll be with you to the end of the age. I will be with you. There's a way to live life that allows Jesus to be right there with you in everything you do. For me at Clemson, when I became a believer, this started with Sabbath. I learned that although everything wanted my attention, everything was busy, everything was rough, I learned that I needed to find a way to get away. And so I I would be out there on Lake Hartwell. I would be sitting at the edge of the lake. I got a kayak, whatever I could do to just be alone and be with Jesus. And then I learned over time to let Jesus into everything I do, to let him be with me as I go. Now, I'm not great at it all the time, but it is my heart's desire because I want, whether I'm running around getting exercise, whether I'm parenting, whether I'm husbanding, I want to do it with him beside me, with the Holy Spirit in me. That's his name, Emmanuel God with us. And last, the idea of by. How do you do whatever you do by the power of Jesus? Again, don't hear this as like, you ought to, you better. All I'm saying is the invitation is there to do things by the power of Jesus, to do things that are beyond what you could ever think about. Acts 2 says, wait for the Spirit and you'll receive power. Uh, The New Testament says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I like to preach to myself, God is strong. I like to tell myself that. Jesus is strong, right? Right? Because I want to remind myself to press into him and not put more weight here and not go, it's up to me to produce this, but to press into the vine, Jesus. Now, a long time ago, I was a student at Clemson, and I was given this box. This box says, FCA Mission Trip 1999. Um, This box was given to me at the end of a week of a mission trip that I had planned for around 200 students. We had been going to pretty much the same place for a while. I think we may have changed it up a little bit. But the year that I was in charge of leading the mission trip, we just felt this prompting of like, let's do something crazy. Well, what's crazier than going to Daytona Beach, you know, and like sharing the gospel with people who are barely mentally there because of intoxication. And so I was like, that sounds, that sounds, that sounds wild. Let's do it. And so we went out and did like a quick scouting trip for like one night. But basically we drove in to, to Daytona Beach with 200 people, um, relatively ill-prepared. And we had, I don't know, this line of 15 passenger vans that spanned about a mile. They were all decorated with like, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always like really Christianese things, which just note to self, little pro tip here. Um, people that are pretty drunk on a Friday night at Daytona Beach on spring break, they don't love that. They, they, don't, they don't take that in a good way. And so over the CB radio, we're there five minutes and bottles were being thrown at the, at the passenger, uh, 15 passenger van windows. I'm, I'm like 21 years old or whatever, and I, I've never led anything in my life. <laughs> but now I'm in charge of making sure 200 people don't get ransacked by the people that we're supposed to be leading to the kingdom. And that's night one, minute one, you know. And, and so after, after we figure out what to do with busted up vans, you know, that thankfully they weren't too bad, but they were still a little bit dented and damaged from things thrown. We, I went up to my hotel room and I just sat on my bed and I told myself, Stuart, you got to push through this. Everybody needs you. Everybody needs you to stand up and be a leader. I know you're 20 years old. Be quiet. Just get in there and do it. And I put all this weight on me, all this weight on me. And at the end of that week, this was me. I was not connected to him anymore. 
I was just, I was just putting out fires, being everything to everyone, doing everything I could to get everybody rocking and rolling. And at the end of that week, all of these people came up to me and said, Stuart, this has been such a great trip. So many people have accepted Jesus. We just want to, they're crying, they're bawling. My life's been changed. And they, and they, and they hand me this over 20 years ago that they hand me this and they say, this is our stories. These are our thank yous. We want you to hear these things. 21 years has gone by and I have never opened this box. You know why? Because every bit of fruit that was done in Daytona Beach that spring break was done in spite of me, not through me. I don't live in regret of that moment. I keep this in my office front and center as a reminder so that whatever I do, I want to do it by the power of Jesus. Not because I'm condemned if I don't, but because man, to partner with the living God, to see his kingdom come and his will be done is such a precious thing. For you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who may be wondering, how do I transition from a life like this to a life like this? Abide, abide in him so that your life won't be filled with with lots of church services and lots of FCA trips and lots of things, lots of missional movements, lots of preachings of the gospel that you know when you meet Jesus, he will say, you could have done that for me and, and, and by me and with me and from me. But instead, I did it in spite of you. I did it around you. May you, brothers and sisters, live lives of abiding in the precious Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, it is unfathomable what you offer us. You give us the opportunity to not just talk about a past event from 2,000 years ago and not just long for a future kingdom whenever it may come. And honestly, it's looking like soon these days. But Jesus, you give us the opportunity to know you, to see you, even though it's just in part right now, even though it's through a cloudy glass. I bet, I bet a lot of people, Jesus, are, 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 are praying right now and, and hearing this moment and going like, yeah, but, but God's not visible. You know, he's not, God, you're, you're not here. It's, it's hard to abide in someone who isn't physically here. Jesus, may we in this moment accept the reality that you're not physically walking this earth. And may we push through that and learn to abide from our spirit to yours in an unseen reality that's honestly more powerful than the seen. For those who are waiting for you to take the first step tonight, Jesus, as we sing this next song, I pray that we would acknowledge that you have already taken the, the first step, the biggest step, the only step you ever need to take. Jesus, you lived and died and resurrected for us. And now we are being invited to pursue you. Now we are being invited to not just reminisce over the handshake when we met you years ago, but to pull in for an embrace, to lock our spirit with yours, to stop the anxiety and depression about all the brokenness of the world, about all the brokenness of our lives, and to fix our gaze upon you, Jesus. You're inviting us to pursue, to abide so that you may abide in us. May we, as we sing these very words of this powerful moment, this powerful song, may we find ourselves, whether we kneel or sit or sing or hum, 
offering to you a pursuit of the vine.